Church to our praise band, thank you for leading us in worship today. Would you find a Bible or a smartphone or some such in which you could uh, read along with us? Mark chapter 4, we're going to begin reading verses 35 to the end of that chapter. And uh, as we read, we encourage you to read along with us. And after we read, keep your Bibles open because we're going to look a little bit closer at some of these verses and maybe some of those surrounding in this chapter and around. And, uh, but uh, we're glad that you've come today. I know already you, you are glad. Good to see you today. And uh, we appreciate our praise band. We recognize we are, we, we're happy to be here. I'm happy that you're here. But most of all, we are here to praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and declare that we serve a great God. And we're glad that we can come together as Parkway Baptist Church to be able to do that. Uh, next Sunday, let me just give a plug. You may hear more about it, but uh, it is uh, family and friend dates, Sunday before Thanksgiving. We have special services here. Both services uh, will be similar in fashion because we'll have uh, spotlighting some ministries and mission and some testimonies. And uh, some of you know uh, Jeff and Candy Williams, and uh, they were part of our church. We've been praying for them, and Candy had some miraculous things happen in her life, and she's going to be coming as well as Jeff and sharing testimony. So if you know them, even if you don't, you'll be glad to get to know them. I guess they've moved away, but they're coming back next weekend. We look forward to that uh, as well. And then we'll have a, a lunch uh, that you want to come and be involved in, and all kind of ministry, OCC ministries, be taking food to needy families that afternoon. And so you can be involved in a lot of things. So anticipate that. Family and friend date, do, is that enough or do you need the hint? It's a good time to bring family and friends. And uh, so that'd be, be good as well. So uh, kind of what that is happening. Gospel of Mark, chapter four and verse 35. This now is the word of God. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boats were already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. We, the church, those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus and uh, followers of Christ, sometimes we're pretty good at monitoring maybe uh, what's wrong with the world we live, maybe pretty good at seeing what's wrong with the nation and maybe even our community uh, in which we have. I'm not sure, hopefully we'll become better at offering solutions and pointing to the one who is the solution. But uh, we, we can tell you what's wrong with America and uh, coming after a... Uh, Election day. I'm not going to pretend to ask how you feel about our midterm elections, but we're pretty good at looking at Washington and saying those people that are going there, what they should be doing or maybe what they should stop doing. We may be pretty good at looking at our culture and promoting maybe indecency and has perverted the Judeo-Christian culture. But what the Lord has called us to do is not just to be the monitors, but we are called that we might be pointing to the one who is the solution to be the salt and the light. Of the world, we're called to be witnesses, and as our young people have done in breakthrough this weekend, Acts chapter one eight, we're called to be witnesses in our Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world, meaning in the city, in our community, state, 
and uh, in our nation and uh, in the world is even coming even more and more to us. I don't, I don't think anybody would argue today that we are in a spiritual storm, maybe one of the greatest spiritual storms perhaps in our lifetime. Will it sink it, sink us? Will we survive it? Will the church just look pitiful trying to muddle through like a ragtag bunch who seem weak and powerless? No, because as we have read already today, we know that we have Jesus who is in our boat, the greatest power in heaven and earth. Like well-trained military emergency or medical personnel, we've been preparing for such a time as this. Not to do battle with flesh and blood, but so that we might be able to offer hope so that we might be able to offer help to those who are in need, uh, that we might be able to help offer something to our community and America in which we love and to the world in which we live. And we just celebrated Veterans Day. We're thankful for those who have served in our military and those who are serving. We are thankful for the freedoms that we are able to have today and thankful for those who paid the ultimate price. We love the country in which we live. We love the patriotism. We love the things that, uh, the diversity, we love those, the fact that we are protected today and we feel like we are ultimately protected in this world. We respect each other's freedoms, particularly the freedom of worship. For the free gift of salvation given by the Lord Jesus Christ must and cannot be coerced or otherwise it would be, it would nullify the gift. So it's okay for you to love this community. It's okay for you to love the United States of America. God loves this community. God loves the United States of America as he does all nations and all people. And it's because you love the people of this community and this nation and even beyond that you and I need to offer a lifeboat in the midst of the storm on the sea to save as many as possible. Hope for the hopeless. Help for the people who do not know that they need help. And others may who would even hit our hand away that when we offer it. We read already today of a boat and the sea on the storm. We find hope and peace. The disciples who had it all along in the boat, though they did not realize it. Now, I want you to notice this about the story in Mark chapter 4 that we just read. It had been a busy day for the disciples and for Jesus. If you got your Bibles open, I want you to notice just the first couple of verses. Jesus had been teaching disciples during that day. And before evening came, before the storm came, Mark chapter 4 verse 1 says, And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things and parables. Did you notice Jesus is teaching? He's using the boat, the same boat that's going to be in the storm. He's using it as a pulpit or a platform in order that he might be able to speak. Talk, they told at least four parables that day and they were very well received and even later he would talk to the disciples. Matthew chapter 4 verses 33 and 34. Matthew 4 and verse 33 says, With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Notice the disciples, they had uh, been well received by all the crowd. They had heard the parables and they even wanted more, so they spoke to Jesus privately. Then later the same night, while on the water, the storms came. So for the disciples, uh, which event showed their true faith when everything was calm and peaceful and they listened eagerly as Jesus was teaching from the boat or when they were in that same boat and the storms came? For us, 
true Christian character and faith are often revealed not in the pew or the pulpit, but instead it is in the storms and the strains of life. The boat of Jesus and the disciples is a picture of our journey, in particular as we journey through the storms of life. Now this isn't the only storm that Jesus and the disciples experienced. We know of at least one other when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus was not in the boat and they were crossing over to the other side and Jesus saw them rowing against the wind. And you know the story, of course, Jesus came walking on the water, came to them. And so a particular lesson that we learned that Jesus sees us in the storms and he comes to us to help us in the storms. And we're going to see some of that same application as well today. But this morning we'll make some, we'll be able to see the idea that Jesus offers hope not just for you and me, but for anyone who put their faith and trust in him. Mark is the gospel writer in this particular gospel, but he's getting all his information from Peter. Most students of the Bible believe that this is Peter's rendition of the gospel that Mark is sharing. And I want you to notice the details that only a first-person experience, of course, could have given in this particular one because Peter gives those details to us. We find Jesus... When the storms come, first of all, he talks about the water that's going on. Tells about how the water has now come into the boat and the boat is about to go down. And he finds Jesus sleeping. Well, we're even told where he's sleeping. He's in the stern of the boat or the front of the boat. And there we have Jesus. Another detail that Peter remembers the cushion that Jesus is laying on when it takes place. Then Peter gives us one other detail in verse 36. It says toward the end of that verse, there were also other boats with him. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. And then there were some other boats. Who is it that's in these other boats? Well, we're not told for sure. Lots of a crowd were listening to Jesus. Maybe some of those were followers of Jesus. We know that there are others besides the 12 that sometimes traveled with Jesus. Maybe that's who it was. Maybe it was just those maybe who were curious and seekers of Jesus. So they're going to follow wherever Jesus goes. And so they're following. Or... See, a Galilee's a busy place sometimes. Maybe they've all been to the Jesus Conference. They're just making their way home. But what I want you to see here is that they all experienced the same thing, both those who had Jesus in their boat and those who did not, which the indications were that this was not the usual kinds of storm. If seasoned fishermen were thought this they so, so bad they were going to drown, and they, all everybody else was experiencing the same kind of storm that's going on. And then when the calm came after Jesus spoke to the storm, well, all the other boats also experienced the same kind of calm. It doesn't mean that they all became believers that day because of it. It may be they did not even know at that moment what was taking place in the boat that Jesus was on. Now, I don't want you to get seasick this morning, but I do want you to be able to, metaphorically speaking, see that you're on a journey or a boat, and there are other boats on the journey. We may not all be on the same boat, but for those of us who are on the boat with Jesus, what happens in our life should have a positive effect on those around us, whether they are believers or whether they are would-be believers. You get that, don't you? Everybody is a believer in the Lord Jesus, or they are someone who is a would, could, should-be believer for whom Christ offers the free gift of salvation. So let's, let's pause for a moment And let's look at life's two most critical questions. You've got some notes there, hopefully, as you follow along. And you might notice there's a two, 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 two thing going on and then a one toward the end because I want to emphasize particularly that which is is coming. But first, life's most critical question would be this. Is Jesus in your boat? 
It is the most critical question before, during, and after the storm. Has he gotten on your boat? Has he entered your heart? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior and your Lord? If not, do so today. Don't wait till the next storm comes along or the next crisis to consider Jesus. Make sure that you've called upon him today. And it is our prayer and it is my belief that you're in this room or you're listening today. If you don't know that Jesus is on your boat or in your life, that today the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart's door and he wants you to ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. For if nothing else, we think about the storms that have hit Florida and East Coast and many tragedies of life, we know that we're not promised tomorrow. This is meant to be a message of hope. Our God still reigns. That is our hope. If we could preach it on Sunday, how we live it out on Monday through Saturday is the test of our faith. It's also a message of truth. If Jesus being in the boat is the most important question, well, the second most critical question is this. What direction is your boat heading? What direction is your boat heading? In verse 35, we read a moment ago, Jesus said, let us go across to the other side. If Jesus is on our boat, he'll give us a sense of direction, meaning he will... Uh, He'll give us meaning and purpose in our life, if not point us in the direction that we need to go. Many times people can struggle with knowing God's will or exactly what direction to go. Even those of us who are believers, sometimes we struggle with that particular question. It doesn't mean that if you're struggling with God's will for your life that you must somehow be far, far away from God. Sometimes God is using this for testing our faith or for allowing uh, that to help to build our trust even more in Him. Sometimes God may give you a general sense of direction before He gives you the particular or the specifics. Jesus did not give the disciples the why or the wherefores, it seems, as to why they were going to the other side of the lake. We'll give them credit, certainly, for going along or coming along for the ride. But I want you to notice, got your Bibles open. We've read through the end of Mark chapter 4. Look at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb, a man with an unclean spirit. So they come across from the Jesus conference, make it over through the night, and as they come, they notice a man who is demon-possessed, and the man called Legion, that many of you know that story. Now look at chapter 5 and verse 21. Chapter 5 and verse 21 says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And there would be a time of healing that takes place there uh, as well. More than one would be healed. I, I guess what I want you to see is that the Jesus and the disciples are on one side of the lake, and then they cross to the other side of the lake, and now they cross back and forth again. Uh, I will contend to you today that we may not always know why things are happening like they are in our life or even why the Lord would have us to do this or maybe even why we are doing what we are doing today. But I can tell you this, life will never be boring as we continue to pursue Jesus, as we continue to follow Him. And He always has His reasons and His purposes. And He can use you right where you are regardless of where you find yourself today until he leads you into another place or in another direction. I, I have a couple of buddies who love to sail. They have sailboats, and they, they're pretty good at sailing. Now, these are 25 and 35-foot sailboats, so they're not no small dinghies. These are, you know, good enough boats. Several people could be on, even the underneath part to it. And I've gone sailing with them many times. Now, my buddies, they have, they, they've even taken sailing lessons, and they... 
use all the sailing jargon. They talk about the stern and the bow and the jib and the luff and the tack. I know all those words. I don't know what they mean, but I know that they use them. And I've sailed with them several times, and I've, and I've thought to myself, this, this doesn't look too hard. And so I decided that I would take one of my buddy's boats out solo. I mean, with his permission, of course. And uh, so I go out on that day ready to sail in the boat. And uh, it's a windy day, which is good for sailing. You, otherwise, you're just sitting there. But uh, and So wind is good, although too much wind is not great. This may have been a little bit too much wind. But I'm out in the boat, and I point it in the direction that I want to go. I raise the sails, and the wind pushes me about 180 degrees in the other direction. So I pretend that's the direction that I want to go. And at least one or two times I yelled, I'm sailing as I'm doing this, and I'm there for a few minutes. And then, no, I was, I was solo. Nobody could hear me, so that was good. But, uh, but, I, but I come to realize that if I don't do something to get control of this thing, eventually I'm going to crash into the bank or a boathouse or a marina full of boats. I was given this advice before I went solo on the boat. So if you feel like you're about to crash into the bank or a boathouse or marina full of boats, be sure to try to hit at least the least expensive one. So it was, I kept that in mind. Well, how do you get control? I mean, how do you know that you're heading in the direction that God would have you to go? Two indicators you're heading in the right direction is this. One of those is being in God's Word. Reading and doing what the Bible says will give you your general course of action. How does the church stay the course? How do we know the church is on course? Well, because we, we're people of the book. We're going to continue to be focused on what God's Word says and seek to follow what God's Word says in our worship and Bible studies. And we encourage you to do that individually as well. That's why we do things like 100 days of Bible reading. We're finishing up. We'll have another one probably in the spring. We usually have start off in January with a focus on one book. And that book will be Ephesians for us in January. We're continuing, which will be a trek through all of God's Word. We just finished Second Samuel a couple of weeks ago. Sometime in 2023, we'll pick up in First Kings. And we're just going to make our way now uh, through Old Testament, New Testament, until we get to Revelation. Of course, we'll take time such as this to where we look at other things depending on the time of the year or the things that are happening. The Bible gives us the general direction and sense of direction for us. It is often the case if you're looking for a specific direction or plan for you, until you begin to follow God's plan as revealed in His Word, you'll have a hard time knowing the particulars or even recognizing the details of what God has in mind. Or are you following this? After all, why would God reveal to you more of His will if you're not following what He is already asking? To want to know more of God's will while not following God's Word is like a boat out of control headed for a crash. Be willing to follow God's Word in general direction first. And then the other indicator will be found, I believe, through earnest prayer. And that's this. It's through God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God's specific plan will be revealed to you through God's Spirit and the Holy Spirit. And all those who are genuine followers of Christ, we know because of what the New Testament teaches us, all of us have the Holy Spirit living in us. What's another name of the Holy Spirit? Our comforter, our guide, our counselor. Does it help to know that sometimes in the New Testament, particularly the Apostle Paul and other New Testament writers, they refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus living in us. Many of you can testify, and I can testify on numerous occasions to where I had a, not a clue, perhaps, on what to do on certain uh, direction or things 
or didn't need to know the answer for a particular thing and did not know until I spent earnest time in prayer. Sometimes hours or days or weeks or even months, but in time, in one way or another, it becomes clear the direction or the answer. The Bible tells us that the storm that Jesus and the disciples were, the storm came quickly. There were no weather radios, weather.com or Doppler radio. Now these kinds of storms were not uncommon to the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, surrounded by mountain ranges on that lake, were famous for being calm one minute and tumultuous the next. But this storm was different. These experienced fishermen used to storms found themselves in the midst of a storm perhaps unlike any they had ever seen. We know this because of the fear that they had in the story, because of the panic that they seemed to express. It was a storm that came while Jesus was in the boat. They're all different kinds of storms. So, I mean, they're literally physical storms, thunderstorms and tornadoes and hurricanes that come our way and floods and things such as this. They're financial storms, perhaps, that sometimes come our way. Sometimes it's in relationships, sometimes with families or job-related or school-related or tragedies or spiritual storms due to inner conflict or being away from God. Well, we wonder sometimes what's the cause of some of these storms. Some we know, perhaps, but some of these for which we have no control. Sometimes the storm comes because of disobedience. Sometimes because of disobedience. We know that Jonah was in a storm in the Old Testament because he was running away from God and his call to go to the Ninevites. And thus he was found in the storm. But not only was he found in the storm because of his disobedience, there were other people who were also in that particular storm. And so if you find yourself in a storm today and you're wondering why maybe particular this storm, it would be a good time to evaluate spiritually and be able to Recognize if you have any unconfessed sins or things that you need to commit to the Lord that you've not committed to Him. And then recognize that when you confess sin, you can trust in His forgiveness and His grace and His goodness. And here we have the disciples and they're in the storm and Jesus is in their boat and they're being obedient. Which means you can be in a storm today because of your obedience. Christianity and an all-out pursuit of Jesus is often a road less traveled. Even Jesus said that if you follow me, you're likely to have troubles, difficulties, persecutions, things that you would not have encountered if you had not followed Jesus. But no, it's for great kingdom purposes and you will not regret following and being obedient to Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us on more than one occasion, those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. Think about the kinds of issues that threaten. As we think about even our nation today, here just Veterans Day weekend, that uh, we know there's economic crisis. We know that there's rise in crime, uh, fear of terrorism, random shooting, sanctity of life from conception of the grave still seems to be in question. Biblical view of marriage and family, pornography in our world today, failed leadership, promiscuity, real storms, hurricanes and tornadoes and uh, wildfires, just to name a few. Are these signs of the times? Well, they are, but maybe not exactly the way in which you're thinking because often when we think about all these things that are happening, then we think, well, this must be the signs of the end of times or the time that uh, culmination of times. But actually, Scripture tells us that these are signs of the times because we live in a sinful and fallen world. These are signs of the times until Jesus returns. But when these storms come in your personal storms, you want to be sure that whatever storm you're going through, it is either 
because you are following Jesus or it is while you are following Jesus and Jesus is in the boat and you're seeking to go in the direction that he would have you to go. Where is Jesus when these storms come, when the storms came in Mark chapter 4? If you're thinking from this story that sometimes Jesus is asleep when he should be doing something, then you have made the same mistake the disciples made. Disciples had every reason not to fear. Jesus was with them and was at perfect peace. After all, Jesus' destination was the cross of Calvary. He was not going to drown in the sea. Now, the disciples probably had a hard time maybe understanding all there was about the cross, particularly at this time and all that was going to take place and that Jesus was heading his way to Calvary. But they were told that they were to go to the other side. Consider this. Bible tells us, John 1 and other places, that Jesus was at creation. He spoke creation into existence. Because Jesus says it, it makes it so. Well, there was on one occasion in which Jesus was with lots of religious leaders and a large crowd of people, four friends brought in a man who had been paralyzed. And Jesus looked at the man that had been paralyzed, saw their faith, which I believe the faith of the four as well as the faith of the man was paralyzed. And he said to him, your sins are forgiven. And his sins were forgiven. Now, that's not a tangible thing. I mean, it is that you see in a transformed life, but it's not something that you suddenly see overwhelmed or come across. And he knew what the religious leaders were thinking. Who's this man think he is saying he can forgive sin? And so Jesus, he said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. He looked at the paralyzed man and said, get up and walk. Take up your bed and walk. And immediately stood up and walked. And here we've read it. He said to the storms, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and the scene became calm. So the words of Jesus have meaning. You think? Whether he yells or whether he whispers it, his words have all power. Do you have to look at it again in verse 35? It's written in red in mine. Jesus said we're going to the other side. If Jesus said they're going to the other side... It makes it so. Now, he didn't say that their trip was necessarily going to be easy, but arrival was guaranteed. Ah, for the same reasons, we need to have every confidence in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he tells us, oh, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's also told us, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come to bring you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. But he did not say that it would always be easy. Being in the boat with Jesus does not always guarantee physical safety. It does mean his presence and eternal life. That's the message of hope. Let others see the confidence that you have in Christ. We can also learn from the disciples' mistakes or their need for a stronger faith. The problem for the disciples on that day was not necessarily the storms that were happening on the outside, but it was what was happening on the inside. For they had seen Jesus perform many miracles already. They had just come that very day from the Jesus conference on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And they failed that first test that came their way. They lacked the faith to know that Jesus cares. Look at the last part of verse 38. What did the disciple disciple say to Jesus? Then they found him lying in the boat, stern, front of the boat, lying there on the cushion. There, water was raising, so he had to have water probably on him as well. (laughs) Teacher, don't you care? It might be the most ridiculous question the disciples could ever ask. But let me tell you, 
If you're wondering if Jesus cares, it's okay for you to ask him. And then allow Jesus to be able to answer that question. It's one of the two hindrances to moving forward in your faith. You're not convinced that Jesus cares. I'm here to tell you Jesus cares. At times it may great, take great faith though to believe it to be true. Does that mean if you're ever scared or anxious or worried, that means that you must not believe that he cares? No, we get anxious and worry. The Bible tells us not to worry so many times in the Bible because he knew we were going to worry. But we take that worry to the Lord. You can be scared, still put your faith in Jesus and know that he, that he, that he cares. We would not need faith or courage if we were never anxious or worried or frightened. Faith is demonstrated when we are worried, scared, yet we still believe that Jesus cares and still is in charge and always at work and that we can always say God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Which leads to the second fall to the disciples on the boat. They seem to wait till the last minute to go to Jesus. Just as the water comes on the sides and they're being swamped, they await Jesus. I think it's okay to go to Jesus, not at the last moment, but even when you see the storm approaching. I think it's okay to Jesus when it's a clear day and there's no storm at all. Too often we call upon Jesus as the last resort, exhausted all other resources. We then cry for help. When as born-again believers, Jesus was with you all along. Don't wait to call on Jesus for help. It's another hindrance to moving forward. You wait to call on Him. Now, think of the other people who are in the other boats without Jesus. If it's really the kind of storm that seemed to portray here, boy, don't you think that they were also worried and they were anxious? They needed a lifeboat. They need to know that Jesus is in your boat. They need to know that they can call upon Jesus. Maybe they need to know that they can call upon you because you have Jesus. When you think about that neighbor or that coworker or that classmate or teammate who would maybe make fun of you because of your faith, maybe ridicule you because of your integrity, they'll come to you if they know Jesus is in your boat when they are in real need and they're wanting some help and hope and you're going to be ready to offer Christ-like love. I've actually heard some say, more than one tell me during a crisis and I'm talking to them maybe about going to Jesus. So well, I'm not going to call on God now when things are bad because I never called upon Him when things were good. Listen, that's a misunderstanding of the nature of God. The disciples said, Teacher, don't you care that we perish? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, peace be still. And the wind ceased and it was completely calm. And the disciples were terrified and asked one another, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The disciples are now, I'm convinced, more frightened because of what they see Jesus do and wondering about who Jesus is than they were when they were in the midst of the storm. Here's two good lessons I think that you can take with you today. Two good lessons. And if you have these two good lessons, I think, I think that would be good. It's not all that we need to learn, but here's one of those. Jesus is with you in every storm. It's obvious, particularly if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know that Jesus is with you in every storm. And if you don't know for sure that Jesus is in your boat, that you have a home in heaven, that Jesus is in your heart today, it's a good reason to call upon Jesus because you're either in the midst of a storm or one's a coming. And you want to be able to say, you're not in this storm alone, that Jesus is with you. It's a good reason to call upon Christ, asking to forgive you of your sins and ask Jesus to come in. But also, Jesus can calm every storm. Jesus can calm every storm. Now, don't 
lose me here. Because Jesus can change your circumstances. He can change the problems that you have, but he doesn't always. Uh, I, I realize that it's a popular way of preaching and teaching the Bible now that as long as you follow Jesus, you pray enough, you're not going to have any problems. But that's not what the Bible tells us. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would do with that kind of preaching. He had problem after problem after problem and finally lost his life as he continued to follow Jesus. Jesus, though, can calm every storm, but he can also give you peace even in the midst of the storm, even when the storm continues. Even if you've got a problem situation perhaps happening in your life when this hour's over, you're going to leave this place. And if things do not change for the better right now, you can still have that peace that surpasses all understanding because Jesus is in your boat. Well, we've talked about these two good lessons. I want, to, I want you to see this one great truth that will transform your life. We've been leading up to this very thing because we don't want to miss, I think, what is the greatest truth from here. And so, hey, if you've dozed off, come on back. We're back to the one now. We could have started with it while everybody... So you want to see this one great truth. But before we tell you, I want us, I want us to broaden or look at these verses for just a little bit. We read in verse 39, chapter 4 and verse 39 just a moment ago, and it said, And he woke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased and there was great calm. We read it many times, recognizing for us that Jesus has power over nature. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man named Legion. We talked about it already for just a moment. Look at verses 8 and 9. Mark chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Not on your screen, so you almost... You can listen well or look in your own Bible. It says, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. We recognize that Jesus has power over demons, power over Satan. Later in the same chapter, Jesus encounters others who would need healing. One was a woman with a blood disease. Mark chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. He encountered the woman who had the blood disease. Verse 28 of chapter 5. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus has power over sickness. He also encounters in the same chapter the synagogue ruler who has a daughter who is sick. And he asked Jesus to come to his house, and they're on the way to the house. And while they're on the way, somebody comes and said, Don't bother the teacher anymore. The little girl is dead. But Jesus arrives at the house. Mark chapter 5, verse 40, 41 and 42. He comes into the house, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Jesus has power over death. Power over nature, demons, sickness, death. So, so here's, the, here's the great truth that I think when we recognize and realize it, that will transform your life. Jesus is the almighty God and Savior. You can trust him at all times. Jesus is the almighty God and Savior. So whether or not you're just hearing about Jesus today, or you've been just a follower of Jesus for a short time or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for decades like the disciples in Mark chapter 4 toward the end we are just beginning to realize who Jesus is and all the things that he is capable of 
All of them are good. All of them are loving. We also want to recognize that probably the most amazing thing about that is he wants to get in your boat. He wants to take you on a journey. Jesus wants to do life with us. And he wants us to give us eternal life. Again, just beginning to understand the amazement that he would love me and you. Let's bow together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to come into this house and be able to worship you. We thank you, and we know that you are pleased with our praise today. We know that when we lifted up prayers, that you heard our prayers. We pray, Father, now that if we've come and we've proclaimed what your scripture tells us, we pray even now, Father, that you may continue to teach us through the Holy Spirit inside us how we may become more like you, how we may know more of you, perhaps, than we knew before. We thank you for how you continue to be at work. We pray, Father, that we may truly allow you to lead out in our life, in our boat, in the direction that you'd have us to have. We pray for others, Father, that they might be able to see Jesus in us and know that regardless of what happens in this world, that they know that there's a lifeboat found in Jesus. We pray, Father, if there's one here today, one listening today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. They might call upon you because of the Holy Spirit at work, because of how your word speaks. We thank you, Father, for the power that we see demonstrated today. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. 